in Romans chapter 13. If you'll turn there with me, you'll notice when when he begins, he really leads us into a a section here that um, is going to help us understand how we can be drawn to our neighbor. And by implication, he is talking about the world around us, the people that in some cases will know the Lord, but in many cases will not know the Lord. And here's what he says. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, when he opens up this idea for us, he he is really bringing before us the necessity and the desire that he has that you and I get involved with people who don't know the Lord. It's not right to be isolated. It's not God's will that we live within a bubble of protection that is merely the influence of the people around us who agree with us and who have the same beliefs. So what does he tell us? He he begins by introducing us to something that's rather interesting. He talks to us about a debt. Now, when he's talking about debt, he illustrates it this way. He says, you should pay your debts. Now, do you remember last week what we talked about as far as any debts that we might owe? It was specifically in relation to the government. And you remember back in verse 7, he says, if, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. By the way, pay them by tomorrow. Ken, you, you have your taxes done. Okay. Did you ever tell your wife that you lost the W-2s? You never got W-2s. Oh, so you just make it up. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, I know better than that. Uh, anyway, I, I was trying to get you in trouble with your wife. That's. Oh, he did tell you that he lost the W-2s? Oh, they were, well, yeah, if they're in his office, he can't find them. That, that's for sure. Now, what the Lord is making clear to us is this, that if you have a debt, and by the way, it is not biblically wrong to go into debt. It's wrong to go into a debt that you intend not to pay. It's wrong to be involved in taking something from someone else that you are not going to be returning to them because what the Lord says is if you do take a debt, and by the way, there are a variety of scriptures that talk about loaning and borrowing and things of that nature. If you do find yourself in debt, pay it off, get it taken care of, follow through. If it's to the government, you pay the government. If it's to a business, you pay the business. If it's to a bank, you pay the bank. And so what he's telling us is this, you have debts, and one of the debts that you have is going to be a permanent debt. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled 
the law. Do you realize that what he is saying is this? The debt of love that we owe because of what Christ did for us is a debt that we can never remove from the books. We owe that debt our entire lives. It is a timeless debt. In fact, the the hymn writer said, for drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. Throughout our lives, we have the privilege, because of the love that Christ has demonstrated to us through his sacrifice, to extend that love to other people, which is not limited just to the household of faith. It is for our neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. It is for the person that you work with who is perhaps blasphemous. It is perhaps some of those relatives that you dread being with because the lifestyle that they live is one that is so inconsistent with what you desire to do in following Christ. I want you to look, depending on the translation that you have, look down at the end of that first verse, verse 8, where it says, Oh, no one anything except love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I think in the New International it translates it, His fellow man. Do you realize how broad that is? The Lord's intent is that we get involved with unsaved people. That we become involved with those who reject the the beliefs that we hold. And now we have this opportunity to demonstrate our love because of the love that God has given to us and to share with them the hope that we have in Christ. He goes on to say, in the next verse, for the commandments, and then he gives us a list of commandments that are only the commandments that relate to our relationship with other people. The first four commandments relate to our relationship with the Lord. We're not to have any other God before him. We're not to make any graven image. We're not to take his name in vain. We're to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Oh, that one could raise a big stink today, but... We, I'll have to get into that another time, okay? Now we come to the commandments that he's talking about, and every single one of those relates to our interaction with other people. And so what he does is, he tells us, whatever these commandments are, and in addition to that, if there is any other commandment, they are all summed up in this saying, namely... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because the Lord's intent is that we as his people show the love that he has for the world. God so loved the world. Christ loved the world enough to to shed his blood at the cross of Calvary to die for us so that we could be forgiven. And so what the Lord is telling us is that That love that he has shed abroad within our hearts is to be demonstrated to the lost. And you realize there is no law against the fruit that that love produces. 
We often turn to a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where love is described, and and we will put it within the context of a wedding ceremony. I've done that. I, I don't know any pastors that haven't done it. But it's really not in the context, biblically, of a wedding ceremony. It's in the context of the way we relate to one another. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at the fruit that the love of Christ produces in a person's heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading down here at verse 4. Love suffers long, is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to live in a world where that's the way people lived? Wouldn't that be great? Do you know the people around you want to live in that world too? And you can help make that world. When we love as the Lord has loved us, the fruit of that love becomes so obvious to the people around us that they will realize something incredible has taken place within our lives. And now we are in the position of fulfilling the law. Now, when you, when you hear that phrase, fulfilling the law, there are a variety of different things that inevitably come to mind. One of the things is this. Uh, I can't keep the law. It's the law that condemned me. Or didn't you know that Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law on my behalf? It's because of what Christ did for me that enables me to stand before a heavenly Father when I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ through accepting Him as my Savior, trusting in His death, his burial, his resurrection as my Savior from sin, dying in my place, taking my penalty, embracing Christ as the only hope that I have. At that point, I now am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He fulfilled the law. So what's this all about? Well, there isn't just one law in the Scriptures the Bible talks about a variety of different laws. And one of the laws is the Mosaic Law. It is the law about which I have just spoken. It's the law that was completely fulfilled in Christ. It's not the law the way the Jews interpreted it and made application to the people, which was ridiculous and which Christ found himself standing against time and again. No, it's the law that God had delivered. And it was the law of absolute righteousness that Christ fulfilled so that when I am identified with him, the Father recognizes that I have fulfilled the law because I'm in him. And he sees the righteousness of his Son. So now we have fulfilled that law. But another law is the law of love. 
It's a law that God intended for us to fulfill. Notice what he goes on to say down there in in verse uh, 13, uh, pardon me, not 13, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The law is summarized in the love that we show for one another, even for the lost. And he enumerates it. When you really love somebody, what are the things you're going to avoid? Well, you're not, gonna, you're not going to uh, commit adultery. You're not going to be involved with another person's mate. That's sin. You, you're, you're not going to murder. You're, you're not going to steal. You're not going to take stuff that doesn't belong to you. You're not going to bear false witness. You're not going to lie. Hmm. You're not going to even covet. Oh, look at that. Oh, I wish I had that. No. You're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. You're going to weep with those who weep. And you're going to understand that God has a purpose for you to live out the love of Christ through your life and fulfill the law of love. It will always benefit your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? You remember the, the, the uh, Good Samaritan? The answer that the Lord gave to, to the uh, young man that, that wanted to know, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. And he told a story that was going to be hard for a person to, to uh, especially the guy that was asking him the question, to come to grips with. Because he began by saying, well, first of all, uh, a priest saw this guy that was beat up by the side of the road. And instead of helping him, he, he walked around him. And, and then a Levite came, and he saw the guy beat up, lying in the, the side of the road, bleeding, unable to help himself, and he, he avoids and he just walks around. But then the Samaritan comes, and what's the big deal about the Samaritan? The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. There was such animosity between the two that they would not even walk through each other's land. And the Samaritan has something far greater than his prejudices. He has love. And he sees the injured man lying by the side of the road and he takes him up and he binds up his wounds and he takes him to an innkeeper and he says, you take care of this man. I have to go on business. But when I come back, if there is any additional expense to what I have given, um, I'll, 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 I'll pay And Jesus raises the question, who is this man's neighbor? Well, now you've got to come to grips with the reality. Somebody you hate. (laughs) Do you have any reason to hate that person? No. No, it's, it's your selfishness. It's your sin. That's what causes you to hate. No, instead, you look at this and you understand that God's intent was that we see the unsaved world as our neighbor. And by the way, our our brothers and sisters in Christ too. Uh, We're to do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. And so we we don't want to leave that out, but what the Lord is saying is this, you, you never do any harm to the one for whom Christ died. And who did Christ die for? Well, we know he died for believers, but he also shed his blood for the world. And he died on behalf of the unsaved world. And so 
what he is saying is this. You have the opportunity to minister to the needs of people. Um, let me just throw this at you. I'm, I'm looking around because I don't think the person is here this morning, which I am glad for. You think I'm going to say something nasty. Just the opposite. This morning we found out that one of the ladies of our church will probably not be here today because she has a neighbor who is going through a very difficult time who has nothing. And she is taking her to get food and to take care of her needs. It's better she's not here doing that than here listening to this. Would you agree? How many of you disagree? <laughs> no, no, no don't, don't anybody answer that question. But listen, we know that that's... But, but how many of us really find ourselves doing that sort of thing? That's, that's love. That's the love of Christ in action. And so you have this situation where the Lord is saying, now you, you can help meet these physical needs of individuals, but don't forget the spiritual needs. So that when the Lord opens up the doors of opportunity with the unsaved, in whose realm you will have to travel for a time, when those doors open, walk through with the truth of the gospel. Tell people about the death of Christ on their behalf. Tell them that apart from Christ there is no other hope. I was asked, I think it was last week, um, uh, some some lady that was involved in a Bible study that I'm leading, uh, she she raised the, the question about her husband being her savior. She is not a believer. And she said, isn't that true? I said, no. I try to say it diplomatically, but as nice as I can, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And our salvation comes when we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? If you have not, then at this very moment, I invite you, in the quietness of where you're seated, to acknowledge the truth that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. We all are sinners. And we need someone who can give us a righteous standing before a holy God because we've already blown it. We don't have another chance. But we do have a Savior who died for my sins, who died for your sins. And if you by faith will cry out to Him and acknowledge your sin and turn away in repentance and embrace Christ and what He did for you at Calvary, the Bible tells us at that very moment you pass from death into life. And now you enter a new realm. A realm is a follower of Christ. Do it now. Do it right now. See, the Lord wants us to be involved in the world so that we can reach them. But here's the rub. We are not perfected. And so the influence of the world can now become a problem. 
Listen, you, you hang around unsaved people long enough, the things that they do suddenly begin to lose the, the intensity of their evilness. And, and you begin to rethink things, and then maybe you find yourself being tempted and, and going along with some of this stuff. So if the Lord intends for us to go into the world and make an impact, how then can we be protected from going with the world in the way that they're going? And there's a variety of different answers to that question. That's why the Lord has given us His Word. However... In this case, he says, here's what's going to help you get through that situation. What it is, it's hope that keeps you from falling into the sins of the neighbors with whom you are involving yourself. Hope that keeps us from the neighbor's sin, as it's demonstrated from verses 11 down through verse 14. Why? Here's what he tells us. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Listen, what he is telling us is this. We understand the time in which we live. All you have to do is look around, and you understand that we are going so rapidly into the realm of belief that says this. Wrong is right. Right is wrong. Would you agree? I mean, what, what I'm hearing from, from the media, what I'm seeing in the, the world of entertainment, uh, what, what I'm hearing about through our politicians, is that the things that we know are right because of God's Word are now being called wrong. Don't do any business in North Carolina. Why? Because, they'll never say this, but because they're trying to recognize that there are differences between that which is right and that which is wrong. And we're going to tell you what you call right, we now say is wrong. And what you call wrong, we believe this is right. We can live any way we want. I will go on. That, that says enough. The time in which we live is so clearly degenerating into the realm of not only unbelief, but opposition to belief in a God. Things seem to be moving so quickly to the point where it's no longer where they'll just leave us alone. Now it's getting to the point where they'll say, oh, you believe in God. We've got a problem with you, and we're going to take some action. These are the times in which we live. Do you know what the Lord is telling us through that? He's telling us that we cannot lie down and be lazy and go to sleep because of the things that are going on around us. Now's the time for action. Now's the time to put on that, the, the garments that we need to become involved in the conflict. And he's going to talk to us about that in, in just a short time. And then he says, well, he doesn't say this, but he implies this. Do you understand you don't have much time left? Now, let me, let me caution us. Um, I don't believe that American politics or American culture in any way, 
influences God's decision of what he is going to do. Sometimes we think that we as Americans are the center of the world, and uh, we forget that there are, other <laughs> there are other cultures and there are other parts of the world, and God's concerned about all of them. And so the demise, or the seeming move toward the demise of the American culture, of the American experiment, I guess is the way they call it, um, that, that doesn't determine God's timetable. But from our point of view, we would say, you know what, the time is short. And here's what I do know. It is closer to the Lord's coming back now than it was yesterday. I may not have tomorrow. The time is short. And if I'm going to make an impact for Christ, I better get on the stick. I better do it now. Because the time is short. Do you understand the times? Do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Do you understand? The day is about to break when the presence of sin will be taken away from us. When the influence of sin will be gone. When the ravages of sin that we experience today because we are in a sin-cursed world and we are sinners simply saved by grace, do you understand that the time is coming when all of that will be over? We'll be with the Lord. It will be a world of righteousness. Truth will prevail. There won't be Republicans and Democrats. (laughs) <laughs> Probably the biggest day men of the day right there. Oh. And our opportunities will be over. See, it's two-edged. Our opportunities will be over. And so the Lord says, you better take opportunity now. Why? Because we understand the goal to which we are moving. That goal is described for us in the second half of verse 12 down through verse 14. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. See, we understand our goal. Do you know one of the things that's really great to understand? As I look at our congregation today, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That means, and I understand that this can almost, you've got to be real careful that you don't embrace this in the flesh. But we're winners. We're on the winning side. We've read the end of the book. And we know what the Lord has planned for us. And we are confident in that ultimate victory that Christ has prepared and has provided for us. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Isn't it good to be a winner? 
no matter how much of a loser you might be. You're a winner as well. And so don't be convinced that you're a loser unless you really need to change some things and stop being a loser. But anyway, in verse 13, the Lord tells us, we are going to be rescued from the degradation of sin. Listen, when the Bible talks about our salvation, here's what it says. There is a salvation that we experience the moment we put our trust in Christ as Savior. At that moment, our sins are forgiven. Our standing before God is a righteous standing because we have been given the righteousness of Christ. We have in us eternal life. But please understand, that is not speaking about a duration of life because even unsaved are going to live forever. But we have a quality of life that is a new quality of life because it is the life of Christ that is now being lived out through us. And so our salvation comes at a moment. But then our salvation is part of a process in which we are growing to become more and more like our Savior. We call it sanctification. It is where today I love Christ more than I did yesterday. And today I'm walking more in conformity with the way He lived, not for my eternal life, not for my forgiveness, but because I've already been saved, I'm already on the road to heaven, now I'm emulating the life of my Savior. But then there is a third dimension, which is the ultimate completion of our salvation. When we are perfected, we do not become God. But we do become like Christ in His character, Because when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And that is something that lies before us and is a motivating factor in our remaining free and separate from the sinful behavior of the world that's around us. Notice, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, and lust, not in strife and envy. Why? Because we bear His image. Do do you know what uh, the word Christian means? A little Christ. It means we've been identified with Christ. And we have His image, as it were, to conform to, and to make part of our lives so that the world around us may not like the fact that we tell them about Christ or that we warn them about the consequences of sin or that we tell them the the way of forgiveness in life is unique. It It is limited to the person of Christ. It is not embrace any religion. They all go to the same place. All of them go to the same place except one. They all go to hell. One gives us life and heaven. And it's through Christ. And the world may not like to hear that, but here's what our objective is. It's to be little Christs. It's to show the love that Christ had, which, by the way, He intermingled with the world. Did He not? 
why he eats with publicans and sinners. Do you see? He called a tax collector to be one of his followers. What is wrong with that man? We don't see anything wrong with him. We see absolute perfection. And now we live our lives in such a way that he becomes the very focal point of our lives. We, we embrace the disposition he has. We try to emulate the love that he shows. We want to have the same concern that he had. We want to live a lifestyle that is consistent with the position that we have in Christ. And so he says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We're already clothed in his righteousness and we are in Christ, which is where the Father sees us and we stand in righteousness. But there is the action of each day putting on the realities of who Christ is so that the world around us sees Christ living his life in us and through us. We're in baseball season, aren't we? Are you all excited about that? (laughs) Whoopee! (laughs) You know, you're going to see something take place on the ball diamond. That's really interesting. Everybody is going to come out in the same uniform. Everyone comes out. If you're a, a, a Marlins fan, all the Marlins come out in the Marlins uniform. And they all look the same. If you were not able to identify by facial features the players, you would look at them, and apart from size, you would say, well, they're all the same. Then they go out on the field. And you've got a couple guys that are going to make plays that are unforgettable. They will dive for the ball that was sure to be a base hit. They will come up with the ball from their knees. They'll throw to first base and the runner will be out. You'll see them stand at the plate. And some will take a swing of the bat that hardly even looks as if there's all this effort going into it. And next thing you know, you'll see the ball flying over the field, uh, the, the fence. And the runner now goes around and he trots around the bases slowly. And he's, he's feeling pretty good inside. Then you have the player in the same uniform, dressed the same way. It's going to have a little nubby rolling down to him. He's going to bend down to pick it up and he's going to bobble it and he's going to throw over the first baseman's head. And you say, what's up with that? They all have the same uniform. They're all on the same team. He's going to step into the batter's box and the first pitch will come and he'll watch it go by. The second pitch will come and it's a ball. Third pitch will come. Now this is a little inside, so he has to back up a little bit. Then the next pitch comes, and he takes a swing, and he actually touches the ball, but it goes in a direction that is not considered fair. So it's a foul ball. And then the next pitch comes, and he swings, and he misses, and he looks dejected, and he takes, as if there's some great, horrible thing that has just happened to him. He takes his batting helmet, he throws it into the dugout, Sometimes you get so upset they break their bats over their knees, but they've just done a horrible job. 
They're all dressed the same. But they play the game differently. They've got the same uniform. Clothed in His righteousness. But some make the great plays. And some throw the ball away. And some hit the home runs. And some strike out. Who do you think the Lord's calling us to be? Yeah, go into the world. Intermingle with your fellow man. But understand this. The day is coming when you're going to be in my presence. So be careful how you behave. Keep your activities the way it should be. Dive for that ball. Grab it and throw to first. Get to the plate. Hit the home run. And glorify my name. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to open your word and to recognize how dependent we are upon you in order to carry out your will and your purpose. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be the people you want us to be, living our lives in the light of what we know to be true, for thy, for thy glory. Father, I pray that you would help us all to be the players that you want us to be because we're clothed in the same uniform. In Jesus' name, amen.